All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for tonight as we come before your holy word. We pray that your, your word will minister to us in simplicity and in clarity of speech. We thank you for what we will hear tonight. And we thank you that your word will give us such understanding that it will cause our Christian walk and our Christian faith to be full of revelation and full of light. We thank you that you have expanded our hearts this evening, that we'll be able to obey every course of your commandments. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, tonight is part four. God bless you. I'm, I'm very uh, encouraged and blessed by all your contributions, just as like you all said correctly. Last week, we looked at um, Paul's predicaments, and his predicaments was he was in jail. And his predicaments led to the spreading of the gospel. So last week, we said that the gospel can't be imprisoned. The church cannot be shut down. There is no legislation from any human institution, any, and I repeat, any human institution that can shut down the church. It's not going to shut God. The church is more than an organization. The church is an, an organism. It's a living thing. You can't shut, you can't shut down organizations. You can't shut down organism. can't kill it. Because Jesus, who is the head of the church, spoke from his mouth that I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. That's the prophetic word. That is the prophetic counsel of the church. So the church cannot die. It's, it's, a, it's an organism. It's more than an organization. I realized that when Paul was imprisoned, the message rather spread. And Paul was saying, whether you preach the message by a motive of selfish ambition or goodwill, Paul's attitude was the word is spreading. Christ is being preached. And for this reason, he rejoiced. This was his joy. So Christians rejoice in the propagation and the promotion of the gospel. Christians also rejoice in the establishment of the kingdom of God. So. That's one sign that you have joy. You rejoice when the promotion of the kingdom is at hand. You rejoice when the kingdom of God is being established. Sometimes people claim that they are Christians, but they are not happy when anything concerning the kingdom of God seems to be thriving or seems to be establishing. It's a telltale sign whether you truly have joy. Amen. We looked at the other aspects of joy excuse me, which has to do with meeting God. And for Paul, he was ready to die. He was more than ready. He was ready to check out and call it a day. He, he was done. He was just ready to die. And it, it, he, was, he had a, such a strong desire to die that he was betwixt two decisions, whether to live for the sake of the Philippians. He did not want to live for the sake of his life. He wanted to live for the sake of the Philippian church because he was really ready to check out. And he says that for you, maybe it might benefit you, so let me stay. He wasn't even thinking about his own life because 
He really wanted to meet God. He said, for me to die is gain. It's not a loss for me to die is gain. And when your joy is fully made perfect, I believe that is the, the, the level at which your Christian life can be. You know, I have not reached that perfection of joy. I, I aim to reach there where I'll say that to die is gain. To die is gain. I really don't care about anything. To die is gain. I have not reached there, but I'm striving. I'm believing God. I'm walking by grace, walking by faith. That I'll be able to reach Paul's level of joy, where his joy was fully manifested. But see, what we are reading here, it's not joy being under development. This is joy fully developed, fully grown. That's what we are reading about, joy fully grown. This is Paul really allowing himself to be worked by the workings and the dealings and the operations of the Holy Spirit, fostering and developing a strong relationship to the point that the, the fruit of joy has fully reached its apex. And that's why he can't talk like that. Can you really talk like that? If we can't talk like that, don't feel bad. Don't feel guilty because it's a level. You will have to work your relationship with God until the fruit of joy is fully manifested. And that was where Paul's um, um, manifestation of joy or development of joy in that regard was. Amen. Now, your joy is also not made complete when you tremble at the thought of judgment day. So, you know, there are signs to really gauge your joy level. When you hear the word judgment day, do you tremble? Do you fear? Do you panic? You know, there are some people, they have anxiety attacks because they heard the book of Revelation or because they heard um, a, a subject on the rapture or they even watched, you know, one of these movies, you know, on the rapture. But we should, we should come to a place where we are not scared. Some people don't even read the book of Revelation. They don't read the book of Revelation because they are scared. You know, but until our joy is made perfect, uh, we will continue to experience all these kinds of trepidation, which is not really healthy. Amen. So Paul, in closing chapter one, made us aware we are called to suffer for Christ's sake. And that's something that we should know. And it's important for every believer to know that. All right. Because what will anchor you, what will stabilize you throughout any form of difficult circumstance or situation for the sake of your faith is joy. All right. Number one, let me tell you, not every suffering is suffering for Christ's sake. Not every suffering. When you, when you read the book of Peter, Peter goes ahead to talk about there are different kinds of suffering. Not every suffering is for Christ's sake. We are talking about suffering that is truly and genuinely a suffering for Christ's sake. The Bible lets us know that for us to really go through it, come out of it victorious, that element and that virtue of joy has to be ever present and ever abiding. Amen. So now let's move on to chapter 2. In the first 11 verses, Apostle Paul is going to exhort the Christian church, which is the church of Philipp Philippi, to have a certain mindset for service. So he wrote this in the context of service. If you want to 
be of service to the local church and even across the local church, you know, you be beyond the four walls of the local church. It's very important to have a certain mindset. And the mindset is going to talk about is the mind of Christ. Amen. So what is that? Let's read um, the first five verses. And I believe by the time we finish reading the first five verses, we might be able to understand what the mind of Christ is and how we believers can also have that mind of Christ. Amen. So let's read on Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. And I read, therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Holy Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceits, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interest of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Amen. So from reading these verses, it's kind of very difficult to really define what the mind of Christ really is. I don't think, personally, I don't think I have the appropriate words or enough words to really define what the mind of Christ is. But what I can do from this scripture is that we can look at certain features on the mind of Christ, which will help us to get a, a better picture and, and a clearer understanding on what truly the mind of Christ is. So in, in the verses we have read, we, we see five features of the mind of Christ. So I want us to go through the five features of the mind of Christ. So from verse two, the first thing that you see about the mind of Christ is it strives for unity among the brethren. So Paul was exhorting the church I want you to have the mind of Christ. It's a mindset. How do you have the mind of Christ? The first thing, the mind of Christ strives for unity among the brethren. There is no division. There is no schism. And, and how does that happen? Look at what Apostle Paul said in verse 2. Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love. He says, so now you are supposed to be like-minded. So in a congregational setting, you should all be like-minded. Be like-minded concerning the doctrine. Be like-minded concerning the vision and the direction of the church. Be like-minded with the set authority of the house. Be like-minded. Let there be no schisms. Let there be no divisions. Let there be no factions. Secondly, have the same love. And when Apostle Paul used the word have the same love, he's not talking about loving the brethren or love amongst the brethren. 
He's talking about having the same love or having the same devotion for the things of God. So brother A and brother B in the church, they should all have the same love for the things of God, for the things of God. Let's have the same love. Let's not have different loves which promote different factions. Have the same love. Let's all love the teaching of the word. Let's all have the same common love. Let's all love worship, coming together and worshiping the Lord. Let's all love communion, fellowship, breaking of bread. Let's all love that together. Let's all love prayer. Because in the church of God, corporate prayer goes on. Let's all love that. The, the things that constitute service in the house of God, let's all love that. Let's all love serving in the house of God, making your gifts available, your talents available. Let's all love that. Unity. Let's all come together. There is no faction. Sister A likes this. Sister B doesn't like this. That's not having the same love. In the same church, where we are washed by the precious blood of God, let's all love the same thing. Let's have commonality in our interests. The, the third thing, being of one accord, which talks about purpose. Let's all have the same purpose. What is the purpose of our gathering? Let's have the same purpose. The purpose of our gathering is to come, worship the Lord, experience the fellowship of the brethren, and we going outside to change the world for Christ. Let's be of the same accord. We don't have a difference here. And then it talks about let's have one mind. Let's all have one mind. One mind together. You can't build an enterprise without having one mind. There needs to be one mind. Okay? So there's two. When you sum all this, it's called striving for unity among the brethren. That's the mind of Christ. So the mind of Christ promotes unity. Amen. So if we, if we really want to have the mind of Christ, ask yourself, am I united with my local church? Even go beyond your local church. Am I united with my work colleagues? Do we have the same goal at work? Okay. To have one mind. Don't have a separated mind from the group. Have one mind, one mind, one mind. So for example, you are here, International Charismatic Church. What is the vision of International Charismatic Church? Are we all wholly embracing it, one mind? Strive for unity among the brethren. That's what it means, the mind of Christ. So our vision is gospel for everyone, church for every community. That's our vision. So one mind. Let's all have one. So. For those of us who are members, let's have one mind towards the goal. Gospel for everyone, church for every community. It means that in, in this vision, we believe in evangelism. We believe in missions. We believe in planting churches. We believe in mission. We believe in witnessing. Let's have one mind, one mind, one mind. Amen. So the mind of Christ strives for unity among the brethren. And it's work. It's not automatic. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 3. 
look how Apostle Paul said again. That's this same um, author of this book. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Let me ask this question. Who knows the meaning of the word endeavor? Anybody can help us? What's the meaning of the word endeavor? When the Bible used the word endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. What's the meaning of the word to endeavor? Let me spell it in the chat box. Endeavor. What does that mean? Because that's what the scripture is telling us. We should endeavor to keep the unity of the spirits in the bond of peace. What does that mean? Who can help us? Oh, nobody. In your own words, don't even bother looking at the dictionary, just in your own words, paraphrase. What do you understand? If someone should say to you, endeavor to do this, what does endeavor means to you? Can you repeat the word? Is it endeavor? Yes. I would say the first thing that comes to mind is like a mission. I'm I'm sorry, I didn't hear the last part. Your voice sounds very distant. If the the word is endeavor, yes, endeavor. Um, I would say like um a plan or like a mission, like that's what comes to my mind. I'm not oh, sure okay. if I'm correct. A plan or a mission. So there's Shaquana's definition when she thinks of the word endeavor, a plan or a mission. All right. So now when we read this, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace, what does that mean if we are talking of a plan or a mission? Oh, the place is quiet. I think it goes back to unity. Um, like it goes back to unifying something. Amen. Unifying Amen. people together. Okay. Okay. All right. Who else? To make sure of it. Okay. To make sure of it. All right. Who else? One more contribution. One more contribution.
All right, so just as what you said, plan or mission to make sure of it. So now when the Bible says we should endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace, we should make it our mission. We should plan. We should make sure that the brethren is unified. We are unified together in the bond of spirit of peace. So that, you see the word endeavor there, that's my, my key word. It, it's, it's a plan. It's a mission. It's efforts. You have to make every effort. You have to be eager. It's not automatic. That's what I really want to mean. It's not automatic. You have to make an effort to make sure that that unity of the spirit and the bond of peace prevails, especially among uh, members of a local church. Amen. So the mind of Christ strives for unity among the brethren. The second feature that we see there is that the mind of Christ doesn't promote selfish ambition. It doesn't promote selfish ambition. You don't, you don't have a selfish You know, you have an ambition, right? Everybody has an ambition, but it's not selfish. We, 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 we read chapter one last week. You see, there were two kinds of preachers with two kinds of ambitions. The first group of preachers were preachers who were preaching out of a selfish ambition. The second group of preachers were preachers who were preaching out of an ambition of goodwill. You know? But Paul said that, hey, irrespective, I rejoice because Christ is being preached. So it's good to have an ambition. Ambition is not an evil word. But let's make sure that our ambition is not selfish. Sometimes I normally hear the word ambition being used in the negative word, like, oh, he's very ambitious. Be careful of him. Nothing wrong with being ambitious. It's good to have an ambition because the word ambition is a neutral word. But whether it tilts to the negative or the positive, that is where the qualification of the word ambition comes into play. Amen. But it's talking about when you have the mind of Christ, you don't have a selfish ambition. And what is a selfish ambition? Me, myself, and I. If all that you are thinking are three words, me, myself, and I. So that's all that they think. Me, myself, and I. It comes back to you. Selfish ambition. Amen. So we don't have a selfish ambition. Number three. The mind of Christ does not promote conceit either. So it doesn't promote selfish ambition. It also doesn't promote conceit either. Amen. What's the meaning of to be conceited? Today it feels like we are, in, we are in an English class. What does it mean to be conceited or conceit?
Who can help us? So what does conceit mean? Nobody. the word so your voice is very distant oh can you hear me yeah i can okay um can you repeat that what's the meaning of the word conceit i wrote it in the chat i think it's to be selfish yeah to be selfish yes to be selfish who else So when we say that someone is conceited, what does it mean? Puffed up. Exaggerated opinion of self. Narcissist. Sometimes they say he's a narcissist or he's a narcissistic. Yesterday I was watching a documentary of someone. The word that kept on coming up, he's a narcissist. He's a narcissistic personality. Interesting documentary. That means everything is about himself. He likes to inflate his own opinion. Yes, thinking of self all the time. Have you ever had a chat with such people like that before? Everything is about I, me, myself, what I've achieved. Yada, 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 yada. I went to Harvard and I had a 4-0. It may have been your 130th time you may have heard that, that phrase. I went to Harvard and I had a 4-0. Summer cum laude. Congratulations. Now, can you imagine hearing that for about 400 times? That's conceit. So the Bible is telling us that if we have the mind of Christ, we shouldn't promote selfish ambition and we shouldn't promote conceitedness. To be puffed up, to have an exaggerated opinion of self. There are some people who have an exaggerated opinion of everything. And if you are like that, even if you become a Christian or a pastor, that might still even eat up into your life. You can never tell the correct number of how many people came to church because you always want to inflate numbers. That's conceit.
right? So the mind of Christ doesn't promote conceitedness. Amen. Now, the fourth thing, the mind of Christ, verse 4, it esteems one another. There's three, I'm sorry. It esteems one another, builds up one another, builds up one another, encourages one another. One of the perfect guys we can look at is a guy called Barnabas. Go with me to Acts. Chapter 4, verse 36. And Joseph, who was also named Barnabas, by the apostles, which is translated, son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So there was this disciple whose name was actually Joseph. That's his name is Joseph. But they kept on calling him Barnabas. And the reason why they called him Barnabas was because he was an encourager. So in, in the local assembly, that's in the church of Jerusalem, if you even call him Joseph, I don't think people will know him. People rather knew him by the name Barnabas. And that's not his real name. You know, he's a Levite. But he was called so because he was an encourager. And when you're an encourager, you build one another. So that's job. You always have a wedding. So you don't tear people down. You always have a wedding season to build people up, to encourage people. When people come and when they talk to you, they leave feeling refreshed. They leave feeling built up. Let's, let's build up people. And one of the ways to build up people is with words. Another one is with your actions. So you see, Barnabas, he wasn't just an encourager by words. He was also by deeds. If you read Acts chapter 4, the Bible lets us know that there was a need. So the church had to sell what they have and bring it to the apostles' feet, lay them at the apostles' feet so that it could be used for ministry. And one of the people who did that was Barnabas. So it wasn't just an encourager by words, it was also an encourager by action. So let's learn how to encourage people by our acts, action, by our words. Amen. We should also be called sons and daughters of encouragement because we build one another. So the word of Christ, the, the mind of Christ doesn't tear people down, doesn't discourage people. It builds one another. Even when you are correcting people, you have a way of correcting people where the correction becomes a blessing. Okay? You don't tear one another down. You build people up. That is having the mind of Christ. This is what Apostle Paul is telling the Philippian church, which is now an extension of the modern day church to us as well. If we have the mind of Christ, let us build one another. 
The fifth and the last feature we see here. The mind of Christ looks out for the interest of another. Verse 4. The mind of Christ looks out for the interest of another. You see, so the mind of Christ is selfless. If I should put all these features in one basket, I'll say the life of Christ, the mind of Christ, I'm sorry, is a selfless mind because it strives for unity among the brethren. It doesn't promote selfish ambition. It doesn't believe in promoting me, myself, and I. It doesn't promote conceits. The mind of Christ esteems one another the mind of Christ looks out for the interest of another. So the mind of Christ is a selfless mind. So if you ask me to define the mind of Christ, this is how I define the mind of Christ now. The mind of Christ is a selfless mind because it doesn't think of self. It believes in looking out for the interests of one another. Look out for the interest. Don't just look out for your interests. Look out for the interests of one another. Typical example, let's put it into practicality. If you, if you happen to work with a friend and if you buy food, ask your friend whether he's also hungry, whether you could also get him something. That's just practical. You see, you can't do this if you are not a Christian. You can't. But naturally, it doesn't make sense. Naturally, it's like, look, we all came from different paths. Okay? We all come from different families. Why should I ask you about if you're a Christian? And if you have the mind of Christ, you look out for the interest of another. Amen. So, that's it in verse 5. So, we've learned something about the mind of Christ in the first five verses of Philippians chapter two. Now let's continue. So now Apostle Paul is saying that, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. So this was Christ's mind. When Christ was on this earth, he strived for unity among the brethren. When Christ was on this earth, he didn't promote selfish ambition. When Christ was on this earth, he didn't promote conceit either. When Christ was on this earth, he esteemed one another. He built one another. Christ didn't tear people down. When Christ was on this earth, he looked out for the interest of one another. So now, let's read verse 6 going. Philippians chapter 2, verse 6. And learn more about this Christ. So now that we know the mindset of Christ, we've defined the mindset. Excuse me. The mindset of Christ is a selfless mind, number one. The definition of the mind, the mind of Christ is, sorry, the mindset of Christ is a selfless one, number one. So that's the definition. Then now we look at the features. So from verses two to four, we see five features of the mind of Christ, which I just read to you a while ago. So now, who is this Christ? Verse six. Who being the form of God did not consider a robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bond servant and in the likeness of man, being found in an appearance as a man, 
He humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So who is Jesus? Jesus is God. So people who are beginning to lie, who was Jesus? Was he a black man? Was he a white man? Stop that argument. The Bible defines the real identity of Jesus. He was in the form of God. He's equal with God. That's Jesus. That, that's it. And we don't know the color of God because the Bible says God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So sometimes I see people like some Pan-Africanists, they'll say, oh, why Jesus? Not like, why Jesus? Jesus is in the form of God. Jesus is equal with God. So Jesus is not a man. He has no color. All right? So the real identity of Jesus is that he is God. God is a spirit. So that's Jesus. He is God. Because he's equal with God, he's in the form of God. But for the sake of coming to serve humanity, the Bible lets us know he made himself of no reputation. He took on the form of a bond servant. Now, who is a bond servant? A bond servant is one who serves out of his own will. So Jesus came to serve this world out of his own will. He, was, he didn't come to serve because he was forced to serve. You know, there, there were some servants or slaves who were put into forced labor. That was not Jesus' servitude. Jesus' servitude was one of free will and volition. Out of his will. That's why it's called a born servant. All right? And then he came in the likeness of man and he was found in an appearance as a man. That's demotion. Because Jesus is in the form of God. Jesus is equal with God. Yet he downgraded his appearance. In the likeness of man, he was found in the appearance as a man. That's a downgrade. That's a downgrade. Because God and man, they are not on the same frequency. Okay? God is a divine, sovereign being. And Jesus was divine, sovereign, in the form of God, equal with God. But because of service, and because of what Apostle Paul talked earlier, the mindset he had, he became a man. Because he wasn't thinking of himself. He was thinking of others. He became a man, and he came to fulfill a mission. He humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. One thing I can say about the mind of Christ is, the mind of Christ is obedience to the master. So right here, I can even pick up a sixth feature. The mind of Christ is obedience to the master. The mind of Christ believes in humility. Let me even add seven. Seven now. So the sixth thing. The mind of Christ believes in humility. The mind of Christ is obedience to the master. So when we have the mind of Christ, we are humble. And everything 
that I talked about, the five features we saw in verses two to four, it's a mark of humility. And then obedience. Obey the master's call. Now, because Jesus did this, died on the cross, the Bible lets us know that God has exalted him. And how did God exalt Christ? He exalted him by giving him a name. A name that is above every other name. And that's the name of Jesus. Now, mind you, the name Jesus was a very common name among Jewish people. But his name is exalted. Why? Because he became obedient until the point of death, even to the death of the cross. He was obedient. And because of that, the Bible says that at the mention of the name Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven, on earth, under the earth, every tongue will confess. And the tongue in heaven, on earth, under the earth, that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So Jesus' mindset has given him a name that's above every other name. That's why we pray with that name. That's why now we don't say uh, um, um, God, the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We now say God, the father of our Lord, Jesus Christ. His name has been exalted. It's been exalted that it has replaced the patriarchs of Israel. The name has been exalted that now Everywhere around the world, we pray in the name of Jesus. The name has been exalted that when we confess Jesus as Lord and Savior of our lives, we shall be saved. But all this happened because of a mindset that Christ had. It was a selfless mindset, a a, a mindset to serve others. Amen. So as we wrap up today's study, Let's have this mindset of Christ that will help us to be selfless. And when we are selfless, all the features I talked about will become prevalent in our Christian life. Now, let me say this. You can't have the mindset of Christ if you don't have the elements and the virtue of joy. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Are we all there? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. I read, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy, who for the joy, not for the happiness, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Do you know why Jesus was able to endure the cross and despise the shame? Do you know how Jesus was able to have a downgrade? Nobody likes a downgrade. Can you imagine you've booked, let's say, a ticket to fly first class or business class and then you go to the ticket decks to submit your ticket and check in your bags. And they said, excuse me, Mr. or Miss, I'm here to announce that you've been downgraded from business or first class to economy. Let's see how you handle that. 
Jesus was downgraded. He was downgraded from being the form of God, being equal with God, to now appearing in the likeness and in the fashion of man. That is a downgrade. But he accepted all that. Do you know why? Because of joy, J-O-Y. So for us to have the mind of Christ, our joy has to be made perfect. The fruit of joy has to be manifested and fully evident in our Christian lives. Then we can have the mindset of joy or the mindset of Christ. I'm sorry. It's not possible to have the mindset of Christ if joy is absent. We can only have the mind of Christ when joy is fully evident, joy is fully present in our life. So what made Jesus decide to come to earth? What made Jesus decide to now downgrade his appearance than now, his identity and his form is now the subject of debate and almost ridicule was because of joy. He despised the shame. He endured the cross because of joy. So without joy, you can't have the mind of Christ. Amen. I've ended. Question or contribution? Question or contribution? We're done. Without joy, we can't have the mind of Christ. Jesus had this mindset to endure the shame or endure the cross, despise the shame because of joy. And Apostle Paul wants us to have the mind of Christ. You can't have the mind of Christ without joy. Amen. Who has any question or contribution? It will be appreciated. We have just a few more minutes to close. Amen. If we all don't have any question, then I appreciate your contribution. What did you learn tonight? Can two people just tell me what they learned tonight in the next two minutes, then we close. Everybody should just take one minute each. That's one minute. What did you learn tonight, two people who volunteer? I learned that the mind of Christ promotes unity and strives for unity. Amen. Amen. The mind of Christ promotes unity. Is that the only thing you said? You said one more thing. And scribes, scribes for unity. Strives for unity. Yes. Great. The mind of Christ promotes unity, strives for unity. One more, then we're done for tonight. Who else? Who, who will be our last contributor?
Last contributor, who will be our last contributor? Nobody. Okay. Uh, so, um, joy. Um, so I, I'm just from the things that I'm gathering and everything is um, something that obviously is not emotional. It has absolutely nothing to do with our circumstance. It has nothing to do with our state of being even. It has more to do with finding ourselves in Christ. This, this is what I'm understanding because um, when we are able to connect ourselves to Christ, then that is where our joy is. Our joy is in Christ in knowing that he is are everything and we have him no matter what, no matter what anybody speaks about us, no matter what so-and-so is gossiping, no matter the criticisms, no matter um, if they try to put us in jail like they did with Paul, um, with Jesus, they slandered him, but he endured everything for the joy that was set before him and the joy that was set before him was our salvation and so um connecting the dots i really see that that bigger picture amen, amen. good one you preached um felicia said we should not be self all the time have all in mind and encouraging each other for the best all your contributions are very, very powerful. Amen. Please try and remember your contributions next week. Amen. You people give very powerful and outstanding contributions. But when we ask, what did we learn last week? You forget. I trust that we will not forget. But we, we do well. We do well overall. I'm very grateful for your participation. So thank you all. On this note, I pray that may you experience joy abounding. May you experience joy abounding in Jesus' name. Amen. Good night, guys. And God willing, I'll see you guys on Sunday. God bless you. Thank you for attending. Good night. Good night, everyone.